How do I know what I think until I see what I say? The Green Notebook, carried by military leaders around the world. Within those pages are sweat, tears, triumphs, and the hard-won lessons of life. Lessons worth sharing. Each week, the team dives into the notebooks of military leaders, business professionals, authors, athletes and coaches, and entertainers to share lessons and help you lead with the best version of yourself. Hey, it's Joe here, and every morning before I crack open a book or sit down to do some writing, the first thing I do is brew an amazing cup of Alpha Coffee. They make premium 100% Arabica coffee, and Alpha has some of my favorite blends. They have Dawn Patrol, which is a nice medium light breakfast blend. I also enjoy Charlie Don't Surf, which is a medium Kona blend. And I even get to take Alpha Coffee to work with me because they also make K-Cups. Not only do they have great coffee... They're a great veteran-owned business who has shipped over 20,000 bags of coffee to deploy troops. They also offer a 10% discount to members of the military and first responders. And Alpha Coffee has been an awesome company to partner with at From the Green Notebook. So taste the Alpha difference and purchase their coffee today at www.alpha.coffee or via Amazon Prime. Welcome to another episode of From the Green Notebook. I'm your host, Joe Byerly, and this week we're diving into the yellow notebooks of Jesse and Emily Cole. This is a special Savannah Banana takeover of the podcast. Jesse and Emily are the owners of the Bananas, and in this very special episode, they share how they have revolutionized the game of baseball through their approach to leading one of the most popular teams in minor league baseball, and arguably one of the most popular sports teams today. And they've done so by putting fans first. The Savannah Bananas sell out every single game they play, and fans travel from all over the world to watch one of their games. And they're just as popular on social media with over 2.5 million TikTok followers. In this episode, they share their approach to leadership and life, and how they parent with the same level of energy that they approach baseball. I walked away from this interview completely energized, and I know you will too. You can't help it when you listen to Jesse and Emily talk. So enjoy this special episode, pull out your yellow notebooks, and please welcome to the show, Jesse and Emily Cole. And we're excited to be here. Looking forward to the conversation with, uh, with both of you. For me, this is an important interview. I grew up in Savannah, you know, back before I started traveling the world. And uh, I remember going to Savannah Cardinals games when I was a kid. And uh, you could always get front row seats, you know, the day of the game because uh, that's what attendance looked like. And then I was there for the Sand Nats. And uh, now every time I go back home, I try to get tickets for the Savannah Bananas, but I'm told uh, it's going to be a couple of years uh, before, uh, before that's worked out. You, y'all have completely revolutionized baseball. Uh, thank you. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun. Now, well, you know, we, well, that wasn't the way when we started. Not, not many people could get, it was very hard, you know, for us to have any success in the beginning. We weren't selling any tickets. So it's nice to see how it's really turned around. Well, that's, I kind of want to talk about that for a little bit, because right now, you know, everybody's uh, getting on Team Savannah Bananas because, because you're a success. But in 2016, when you started, like everything that you were doing 
wasn't a set path. You were kind of blazing your own trail. What was that like? For me? Oh, geez. Well, I mean, obviously we were a partnership, Emily and I, from when we started and it was a challenge. You know, we came in with this big vision, this big goal of what we wanted to do with baseball and make it fun. And, you know, we were the new kids in the block in Savannah and only sold a handful of tickets in our first few months. And, you know, as bad as it got on January 15th, 2016, we overdrafted our account. We were out of money and Emily and I had to sell our house and we were sleeping on an airbed. And so that's where we were, you know, seven years ago. And, you know, it took time to get people to see the experience and see what we were trying to create. What sustained you through that? Because I, I think about From the Green Notebook, this is year 10. And uh, it's only been in the last like two or three years that people have actually said, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't know you had this thing <laughs> that you were doing. But, uh, you know, for, for years was just kind of plugging along with a, a very small audience. And now, now it, it, it's it's grown immensely. So how did you how did you sustain each other and and keep that vision going? Yeah, I always say that we were just so blindly optimistic. You know, we were <laughs> we were young, we were hungry. Uh, you know, we didn't have a family yet, so this was our family. This is this was our passion. We poured everything that we had into it, and failing wasn't an option for us. I mean, this was our our livelihood, our our lifestyle. We were not the owners and we never will be the owners that kind of sit back in the owner's box and enjoy the show. For us, this is our life and this is our job. And, you know, we're down in the trenches working every day. So failing just wasn't an option. We were, we weren't sure exactly how we were going to get there, but we knew we were going to experiment until, until we succeeded. We knew we had, we had to have people see it. You know, that was a big thing too. Like they hadn't seen it. So we were optimistic, but we knew if they saw the show, it would be different. So we just had to get to that opening night. Yeah, and and one of the things that um, I think is interesting too is a lot of people, whatever career field they're in, they kind of study the people who are in that career field. They read books by people who are in that career field. Um, you know, in the military, a lot of times we we read military history, but you kind of relied on people that were not in the baseball profession to pull inspiration from. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, well, to be honest, there's not many books about front office in sports, or you know, successful. Or, or successful. I mean, the reality is, uh, you know, there's obviously so many great teams in sports, but often they're doing the same things. They're competing and playing the same game over and over again. Who can win the most games? Who can win the World Series, the Super Bowl, the championships, etc. We didn't want to play that game. And so for us to get inspiration, we really couldn't look at other sports teams. We had to look at some of the greatest entertainment acts in history. And, you know, for me, I started with P.T. Barnum back in the 1800s, then Walt Disney, and then from SNL to WWE to Cirque du Soleil to Emily and I go on cruises and we we try to learn. Study while we're there. Yes, it's not just go on cruises. We, you can learn a lot from how people are entertained. And that's, we said, what what if we brought that to baseball? And that's really where the inspiration came from. What were some of the things that y'all did early on in the history of the bananas to to change things around? <laughs> I mean, it started with, uh, you know, when we named the team the bananas, that was a big risk we took. And it sounds crazy because people don't even question it anymore. But, you know, we asked our fans what we should name the team. And we got over a thousand suggestions, but only one bananas. And when we named that team, everyone, you know, ripped us apart. I mean, they said, whoever came with his name should be fired. You'll never sell a ticket. You're an embarrassment to the city. Um, that was the first risk. And then, but people didn't realize most teams, they name a team just because it either sounds good. It can be a cool logo or they don't think years out in advance. When we came up with Savannah Bananas, we were thinking years 
in advance of what we could do with a brand. And so, you know, we were thinking we could have the Banana Nanas, the senior citizen dance team. You know, we could name our mascot split. We could have a male cheerleading team called the Mananas, a dad bod cheerleading squad. We could have a banana baby that we lift up every game and sing, nah, Savania. We could do music videos to Can't Stop the Peeling. All the food and bev options that were down the line. Yeah, yeah. Still are. Yeah, I mean, slippery banana drinks and banana cream soda. And, you know, there's some other food options that we're going to do in the years to come. And so that's how you build a brand. You know, you really have to think in the long term. And often uh, it's really thought short term. Oh, we're going to come up with this cool logo, make some money, sell some merchandise. We were really playing the long game. And so that was the start. And that's why we've been able to unveil new things every single year that people have never seen before in a baseball field. If I could get a little bit personal with, with both of you. Like when y'all were in the hard times, that's what really interests me because like once something gains traction and people are behind it, that's not the hard part. The hard part is what y'all did to get there, you know, to get to that point in the first place where the flywheel started spinning. So how did you sustain each other when, you know, the bills weren't weren't coming, like people were naysayers saying this isn't going to work? What did that look like uh, between the two of you? One of the turning points for me, I remember Jesse read a book by Mike McCallowitz, and now we've become friends with him and read a lot of his books. But in Profit First, one of the messages was that you needed to enjoy saving as much as you enjoyed spending. And so for us as a couple, as business partners, it it almost became a game of, okay, Mm -hmm. what can we not spend today? What do we not need to buy today? And, you know, we were in it together, not just with each other, but with our president and with the three other employees that we had brought on collectively as a team, we just got very creative and made it this competition of how could we sustain what we had? How could we survive without spending a lot of money? You know, so many big brands, they're successful and they're able to just spend tons of money on things, but we didn't have that option. And so it became a challenge, a fun challenge for this young, hungry, scrappy team to survive without spending. And that was a turning point for me because it it wasn't just sitting there saying, woe is me, we don't have the money. Um, it just became a fun part of the growth where we could look at things differently. We had a phone charger that was literally falling apart, hanging on by a, thread. On by a thread. And every day we'd say one more day. I mean, a phone charger costs 10 bucks, but we're like, we're not going to spend those $10. So it was one more day, one more day. Can it make it one more day? And so that was the mindset. And, you know, obviously that was a, that was a, a big turning point in the beginning, but, you know, I'll challenge you. I, I think people think a lot in the beginning that that's, you know, you want to hear about that, the, how the challenge, I think it's, it's, I think it's almost harder now, mm. you know, once you know, the easier it gets, the harder you need to work, in my opinion. So once you get to a level where there's a huge expectation and an obligation, it's very easy to settle and to be complacent. And a lot of brands do that. So for me, I have a bigger responsibility in my mind on my shoulders now to push us to things that have never been done before. We've we've kept pushing the envelope and it gets harder and it gets harder. And there's very few brands that last the test of time. And so that's what we're trying to do. And so, you know, there was no expectations when we first started. People expected us to fail. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we have a wait list of, you know, or a list of people wanting to come out to our games that's getting close to 200,000 that are literally lining up hours in advance and traveling from all over the world to come to one of our games. We better deliver. And they didn't have in the beginning, they're like, we're going to, we're coming to see these guys fail. Good luck. And then we surprise them. Now the expectation is so high mm. that we have a huge, huge uh, responsibility and obligation to deliver to that. Yeah, Jesse, I appreciate you pushing back on that. Cause I, cause as you're talking, I'm thinking of even about my own stuff that I've done. Um, I once read a quote about the author of To Kill a Mockingbird. She only wrote, you know, at the time one book 
And uh, the person that was writing about her wrote that uh, she was probably pinned down by the boulder of her reputation. She couldn't get past that. And And I think about that is as my audience has grown for the podcast and the different newsletters I do, you know, like I've got to kind of push that away and just keep the process alive. The thing that I've been doing all along. And you know, for me, one of those things is writing down in my notebook. And I heard that you also have a yellow notebook that, that you're constantly using to write your ideas down on as well. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, constantly writing and pushing the envelope. And I think, you know, just staying more on this topic, I know we're just kind of going there, but you know, how many sequels are better than the first one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you think about that and and even musicians, they come up with their first album and then good luck on their second one. It's a challenge. You have to reinvent yourself or reimagine what you're doing. You have to push it. And so I think that for a creator, which we're in the creative business, we're in the entertainment business, that's what gets me up in the morning, gets me excited is to try to push the envelope on what we can do. And I don't want people to get bored or find us irrelevant. So I think that's something that everybody in business needs to think about. Once you start hitting it, that's when you got to really pump on the gas if you want to keep it going. I love that. And I, I was just thinking about the the great philosopher Eminem, who uh, in, in one of his uh, recent albums, he has a line. He says, now write your best rhyme and outdo it and then outdo it again a thousand times. And uh, that's essentially what y'all do every single bananas game. Yes. And so, you know, we used to say it was what, four years ago and we were like, oh, we do uh, one new thing a game. Like we're going to do one new thing again that we've never done before. We thought that was great. We we're like, all right. Because most teams just read the same ads yeah. every, you know, half inning. So then I was like, you know what? One's not that much. Let's go to two. And then I was like, let's go to five. And I was like, all right, we're going to do five to 10 things we've never done before. And now I look at our scripts and our scripts we have, if it's green, uh, again, goes into the banana puns. It's not quite ripe. So that means we've, <laughs> that means we've never done it before. It's, it's brand new. So every script I look at, and it's between 10 to 15 brand new things we've never wow. done before in front of a live crowd. And, so, and some nights I've seen 17 or 18. And the reality is, yeah, I would say nine to 13 of them don't work out the way we hoped it would. But there's usually one or two that become absolute hits. And when people see the guy walking up with the bat on fire or they see a guy doing a split in the batter's box or they see, you know, these dances that are happening in the middle of the game, those are just one of many, many experiments thousands of experiments. And so if you want to learn more, you got to do more. And so we believe we do more than any other sports team in the country every single night. And that's how we're learning faster and getting better. Yeah. One of the things that y'all talk about, and I'm going to mess this up, but it's about learning about failure and about stories. You either have a success or you have a story. Yeah. And, uh, yes. I mean, and, and stories help build the brand and they help stories inspire people. And so I don't like saying failure. I hate the term failure. I mean, we have three kids and I, I just can't imagine the first time they come home and they have an F on something and a red F. It's like telling you, no, to me, that's telling you more than a failure. Hey, maybe this is not the best subject for you. I mean, the idea of like later on kids learning calculus, like I don't understand that, but that's a whole nother conversation. But my point, <laughs> but my point is it's like we don't even using the term failure. I mean, failure yeah. is this word that's just so strong and so tough and like so absolute. Why do we use that? So we don't use that with our company. We use experiments. We use stories. We use discovery. What do we learn? It's just, I, you know, I think that's really important. Language is so important. And Emily's a big champion in this. I mean, we don't have managers on our team. You know, uh, people don't want to be managed. They want to be led. Mm. You know, we have we have directors. We have vice presidents. Uh, we don't have training. 
even though if people on the outside would say, we probably train more than anyone else. Well, dogs are trained. Humans are coached. They're taught. They're educated. So we have fans first you. We have bananas orientation. You know, it's just language matters. So I think the world needs to stop talking about failure or fail fast, fail. Just stop using the term and just talk about learning and doing more, experimenting. I love that. You know, for for me and, you know, my the organization that I lead right now is like, uh, it's about 600 people. And and uh, I, I loved it. Before you do something, it's just theory. But when you do something, you actually learn. You learn about yourself. You learn about the process. You learn what not to do. So, yeah, I, I think I subscribe to that as well. Like, you don't really fail if you're learning something from it, you know? Yeah. Uh, myself and our president, Jared Orton, about five years ago, we went to the Henry Ford Museum and uh, Greenfield Village, and we, and we were blown away. And there was a plaque right in front, and it said, uh, and he quoted it, it said, Henry Ford always learned by doing. And and I just, I've really taken that in my mindset. It's like, you can talk about and read, but once you, then you actually to, to put it into your own experience. And, you know, Henry Ford, one, obviously one of the great innovators back in the day and what he did for his people and doubling salary and everything else. I mean, he learned by doing it. You could talk about, we're going to do so much for our people, but they said, no, we're going to start paying maybe $5 a day. And he had 40,000 people line up the next day to try to work for him. Uh, he did it. He put it in motion and he saw what happened to his business. So I think that's just so important in that, that mindset. Man, I, I'm, I'm enjoying geeking out with y'all. Some other things I want, I want to kind of go back to, you know, some of the successes y'all have had and you've continued to do. And, and one of them that really stuck out to me that y'all have done in your organization is removing friction. And in the book, you talk about micro and macro friction. Could you talk about that and what y'all have both done to, first of all, what those mean to you and then what y'all do to, to get rid of that? So while Savannah Bananas is the public name, what everybody knows us as, the name of our company is actually Fans First Entertainment. And so we back all the way up to the very beginning, which is where our mantra started with this team. And, and we started saying, let's put ourselves in our fans' shoes for everything that we do. So fans first, entertain always. That, those are the four words that we live by. And so in every decision that we make in the company... It's what do our fans think about this? What would our fans want in this situation? And that's how we make all of our decisions. So often any company, any industry, you can go through the customer path or the, the fans shoes and decide where are the friction points in this? When I, when I call somebody, am I put on hold? When I go on the website, am I able to find the information that I need? I mean, it's such basic stuff. But when we look at it through a lens of, hey, our fans are coming into this situation, what are they going to think and what are they going to want? It's actually pretty easy to make those decisions and to eliminate the friction. For example, when we started the team, we said, what are things that people hate about going to an event or a sporting, you know, any sort of any sort of game? Being nickel and dimed was one of the top rated right, things, right. right? You don't want to pull your wallet out of your pocket every minute of the night. So we decided to make the first all-inclusive ballpark. So included in your ticket, you get grilled chicken sandwiches, hot dogs, hamburgers, chips, cookies, soda, water, all of your drinks, all of your food, your basic stuff is included. So you do not need to pay for anything once you pull up and come to the game. Parking is free. Everything. Like we just decided to take away those things. We always say the convenience fees that are not very convenient. We took all of those away. Mm -hmm. The shipping for our merchandise, we took those away. Anything that is going to hurt your experience as a fan, those are friction points, right? We took those out of the process. So we really look at it in every situation. Here we are seven years later. We're still doing that when we make decisions. And there are ways that we can continue to improve. But we believe if we take a step back and look at it that way, 
the friction points are pretty obvious and they're easy for us to attack. I was actually talking, so again, I'm from Savannah and I was talking to my mom. My mom and dad have moved away uh, within the last year and I was talking to my mom and she's actually going to her, her second Bananas World Tour <laughs> game and like she was just telling me the process she went through to like get tickets and uh, I forget who you're who the actual person is, but it's like, it's a person. It's not just a, a, a nameless, like, you know, operator. And my mom was like, yeah, we were just going back and forth in emails, you know, getting tickets for the game. And, you know, I was going back and forth on how many I needed. And every time was like, sure. Okay. Yeah. We've got you. That's too easy. Like no, no worries. <laughs> and uh, I think that that's uh, you know, that's, that's a big thing about the experience all the way from what I've learned about you is all the way from purchasing tickets uh, to the moment a, a fan leaves the stadium, you've both looked at every aspect of it to try to remove those frictions. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say, actually, you know, one of the things I almost cringe when people say now that, you know, they call or they go on our website because I'm holding my breath, hoping that we're getting it right. But to be open, we're growing so quickly. And that's where more friction points are coming up that we didn't even know existed mm-hmm. before. We've never had 50 people calling our office in the same minute. We've never had 55,000 people going online trying to click buy now in the same second. Which happened. And Which happened. <laughs> crashed our website and we yes. weren't prepared for it. So we do preach this and we are trying every day to follow through on this. But it is an interesting thing to navigate as a growing company because there are new friction points every day that we didn't know existed yesterday. Well, and the truth is you got to get through the messy to get to the great. And so I love in a weird way, as much as I cringe, that we go through these moments because I know that's going to get us so much better for the next time. Again, goes back to doing and learning. Yeah. If we didn't know that when we did a live draft to announce our world tour cities and had 28,000 people watching where we're going to announce to go, and then 55,000 people go to our website, and then all of a sudden merchandise shuts everything because we never done that before. No team has done that before. And so when you're you know, a pioneer at something, innovating something, that's when you really start to learn those extra friction points. So the first night we did all-inclusive that Emily talked about, I mean, people waited a couple hours for food. I mean, it was bad. We didn't know we were going to go through 10,000 pieces of meat in an hour. We had no idea. But like now people get fed within less than five minutes every single night in Savannah. And again, we realize we can't do all-inclusive at every ballpark on the world tour. We can only do it in Savannah because no other teams can put seven years into learning how to do it like at this point. And so that's just part of the things we look at. And, we, and we're aware that there's even frictions that people don't even realize that if we see it even a 1% friction, we won't do it. I mean, we pay everyone's taxes. No one is saying that's a friction point because it's just assumed. Everywhere you go, you pay your taxes. We are probably the only company in the world that pays your taxes. So if you get a $6 beer, it's $6. If you buy a shirt, it's $25, not with added taxes. If you buy a ticket, it's 25 bucks. We do that because we just want to be completely transparent on pricing because we hate the idea of buying tickets on another website. Don't even give any names. And you pay your ticket fees, your convenient fees, your taxes, and a $55 ticket to a concert is $98.26. That is not a good experience, and we won't let that happen to our fans. Yeah, I love that, Jesse. And um, because I'm a, I'm in the military, and like by you paying taxes, you're paying my paycheck. So it's really like kind of like a circle. <laughs> so that's what we were trying to go with. Yes, there we go. Full, full, full circle. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I struggled with was I learned – so much from listening to your interviews that, that y'all have done, reading the book Fans First, just kind of about leadership. And, you know, the Army, we have a motto, people first is one of the things. 
but one of the things that I don't think that we we learned to do that that I appreciate that I gathered from the book was again, y'all look at every aspect of going to a game, of purchasing tickets and all that, and like actively remove friction. And then as you see it arise, you know, from the process as you develop it, like you just said, Jesse, like y'all learn and then you adapt and then you you keep going. But the I guess kind of the North Star for your organization is in the name. Fans first. It it always comes back to that. So for military folks out there that are trying to figure out the people first thing, I highly encourage you to read Fans First and just see how Jesse and Emily have done this with their organization because once you read it, you can't unread it. And all of a sudden you start looking around everywhere and you're like, How can I remove I remove friction from this? Shifting gears a little bit, I, I like to uh I have so many questions. One of them goes back to something your dad told you, Jesse, when you were five, uh, playing baseball. You have done your research. (laughs) It's Jesse and Emily first here. What did he teach you and how has that kind of stuck with you throughout your career? Yeah, I reference uh, on a lot of interviews about Walt Disney and P.T. Barnum, some of my biggest mentors, but my hero is my dad. And so, uh, you know, he raised me. I was an only child. And when I was five years old, yeah, he tells a story more. But the first time I came up to bat... I was nervous first time going to bat, a lot of people watching, and he yelled, Jess, swing hard in case you hit it. And I think everyone laughed and, you know, I was kind of confused, but that was a mindset that he taught. And he said it, you know, all the way going up to high school. I mean, he'd joke around obviously later, but I literally probably swung as hard as anyone that ever swung a baseball bat. And like, there's video of me. I had a huge leg lift. Like, it's like, are you pitching? Are you hitting? Like I put everything into every (laughs) swing that I had and I swung and missed a lot, but I was fortunate to get a full college scholarship. And when I made contact, I made pretty good contact. And um, it's a mindset that, you know, I never really thought too much about back then, but now I look at the way Emily and I and our team and in our life, the way we do anything, we don't settle for something. We never to go at anything just like, let's just tip our feet in. Like we go all in and, you know, we're foster parents and, you know, literally within one year, we you know brought in two amazing girls into our life, like in the middle of the crazy world tour and everything else. Like if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And, and I think uh, that's when you have the most fulfillment and purpose and what you do in life. And you just dabble. You'll have a life where you just, you know, you don't really have that huge purpose and we don't dabble with anything. So we teach that with our team and, uh, we take big chances and we're probably just getting started. Now that you mentioned it, um, you, you mentioned being foster parents and that's both a, that's a huge passion for, for both of you. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, to talk a little bit about that? It's some of this. That's Emily. It's her, it was her first, her dream. So happy to talk about it. Where do you want to go with it? Yeah. Like, like, cause it's not just what you're doing for, for your girls right now. Like it's, do you have a son too? Yeah, we have a biological four-year-old, um, a son, and then we also have a four-year-old foster daughter and a one-year-old foster daughter. Yeah, so so you're trying to also raise awareness for, you know, families to adopt foster. Could you talk about that? Yeah, you know, when we first learned about foster care, we were just blown away at how much we didn't know about it, and so we started going to the educational you know, meetings and learning as much as we could, reading the books and listening to the podcasts. And there's just a whole other world out there that we didn't know in our beautiful, perfect little bubble of our life. You know, we we were growing our our business and we'd had our son and everything was great in our world. And then you stop and you learn about what people are going through in your neighborhood or just down the street. And um, of course, pull down our heartstrings and we are definitely givers and um, just knew that 
whenever we had anything in life, it was going to be something that we needed to share. And so why would we live in a home with an extra bedroom and not fill it? You know, that was kind of the mentality. So we dove right in and yeah, he's like, he said, we had two girls join us within a year. So uh, faster than I could have even gotten pregnant and had a child, we had two join us. Um, It was very quick and, you know, flipped our world upside down, but we've definitely become advocates for it because as we've learned, these children are in situations at no fault of their own. And so why are we as a society not walking alongside of them and picking them up and helping them, which will then help our future, right? This world, you know, this is our future. And so I think that this is going to be a very big passion project for us in our future. You know, we've been very fortunate with the team and we're so grateful to see the growth there. And so as we get older, I think that that's, this is going to become a huge focus of ours. And in fact, um, in the last year or two, we've started working on a project that's connected to the bananas and we are launching a nonprofit called Bananas Foster. And so that will hopefully bring awareness and advocacy for so many people, not just the kids, but the foster families who support these kids and the you know DSS workers who do so much for them. So definitely a big passion project of ours. There's a lot of work we can do and we hope to spread the word about yeah. it. And the key is synergy. You know, everything we work together, it's, it's what do we do? We bring people together at our games around the world with baseball and fun and with families. And hopefully with this, with 500,000 kids in the US alone who don't have a home. I mean, that's not even talked about. It's something that I feel like that we can do and bring more joy and happiness and bring more people together. It's awesome. I I remember like my first season when I started doing the podcast, I interviewed Brett McKay, who's the host of The Art of Manliness. And um, I asked him about like work life because his wife's involved with their podcast, with their platform. And he said, um, he goes, I don't really look at it as like there's a work life and then there's a home life. He's like, it's just life. (laughs) Um, and so, you know, as I, I, I've done research on, on the two of you and what you've done with fans first and the Savannah bananas and, you know, what, what you're doing now with bananas foster, like, what have you learned about, you know, through this process about each other, about just like doing life, like managing it all. That's a deep one. That's a deep one. Yeah, I'll let her. I'm intrigued. I'm, <laughs> oh, yeah, Emily, what have you learned? I think Jesse will probably go into the energy part of it, um, oh. which is a big a big part of it. But um, energy, positivity, I will, I'll stick on the positivity side because he, he'll speak more to you know what gives him energy. But we try to just see things um, with a positive outlook. I mean, it sounds so simple, but you can choose to look through a lens of negativity. There's a lot of bad out there, or you can look at it through a lens of positivity. And that's how we do it. And and our days are crazy. And we are taking work calls on our way to foster care meetings. And um, there's a lot going on. But rather than sit and dwell on the negative, we really want to put back into the world the positive. And so it's just a simple outlook. And it's challenging. It's not something that comes easily to either of us. But We've learned each other and how to stay in our lanes and how to work on the things that give us the most joy. And that's just kind of a, yeah. a simple outlook for us. And how you view things is how you do things. And so mm-hmm. we that's really good. tried. To, yeah, I mean, it's the truth. And and we've tried to uh, look at how we view everything in our life. And gratitude has been a huge thing for us. And uh, we started really putting it into our kids uh, every night before we go to bed. We've been doing it for probably six or seven years now, but we do Rose, Rose, Bud. 
And so, you know, I, I think I actually finished Van's first book, actually having uh, that about. So yeah. Rose is something something great from the day that you saw and a bud, something you're looking forward to. And if every day you can look for those roses, if you can look for those buds that you look forward to and you can have people around you, then you get this lens of positivity and excitement towards life. And so that's been huge in positivity. And then just to Luke, she referenced it twice. Energy, big game changer in my life. I was doing things that didn't give me energy. They wore me out. They wiped me out. I would come home exhausted. And I finally did an audit in my schedule. And I looked at the things that I really got energy on. Not the things necessarily I like or love. That's like, love, subjective. But what gives you full energy? And I realized what it was for me. It was creating, sharing, and growing. And if every day I'm doing things that are creating, sharing, and growing, I am my best self, can give my best energy to my wife, my kids, the people I work with, my friends, my family. And that makes me uh, be my best version of myself, which I think all of us should uh, try to attack every day to be the best version of yourself. I love that, Jesse. I have a couple more questions because I know y'all are, y'all are extremely busy. One of the things that you're very deliberate in, because you've talked a lot about your kids during this, you know, you're very deliberate with Fans First, with the Savannah Bananas and everything you do there. You know, one of the things that I've picked up, I've talked about on the show a bit, but uh, I, I picked it up about two years ago and we've continued to do it is about every week, one day on the weekend, we do something called family fitness opportunities. And me, my wife, my 12-year-old son and my four-year-old daughter, we do a short workout. It's about 30 minutes long. And I was laughing the other day because like my daughter was running like a quarter mile and she's been doing this since she was two. So she doesn't know any better. She thinks this is normal for families to do this once a week. But like, have y'all brought that deliberate focus into, you know, raising your kids as well? I think so. I think it's just because it's what comes natural to us. And, you know, we were always taught by my parents that we weren't raising children, we were raising adults. And so mm. what do we want to instill in them that we want them to carry on throughout their life? Um, being healthy is a huge part of who we are. And I know that when they go off and live on their own at 18, they can make those decisions. But if we've equipped them with the knowledge and how do they feel their you know, best, if we've given them those tools, then they're going to hopefully carry on living that way. So like Jesse said, with the gratitude every night, I mean, they're four and they're saying, I, I need to do my roses and buds. You know, they're looking for that opportunity mm -hmm. to share with us the positive from their day and what they're looking forward to tomorrow. And what, every morning when we get up, we make smoothies together. It's just like you said with your daughter, it's what they know. They go to the freezer and they get out frozen fruit and they, you know, so. They put M&Ms in their smoothie okay, today. Well, just, I just was not in charge of I said, why not? Keeping it real. Keeping it real. We threw a few M&Ms in there. That holiday candy is really getting to us. But um, it's just being intentional on what we share with them and how we bring them into our world. You know, Jesse and I said that before we started our family because we were so busy and so crazy and involved in so many philanthropic things. And we said, okay, we want to have kids. But we're not going to start catering to them. You know, they're going to travel with us and they're going to join our world. And we're not going to stop and let the world revolve around them. And so, which, I, which again took away energy, <laughs> a lot of that. Like, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. Um, but it was just a, a, an outlook for us of saying, hey, they're going to see how we work out every day. They're going to see what we eat. They're going to see that we travel the world all the time. And it is just going to become their norm. So I think we are deliberate in it and that hopefully it's going to help their future. That's amazing. Um, Last question and then, you know, finish if, if people want to learn more about the Savannah Bananas. But, um, you know, for, for one of the things that we push on this, uh, this platform is reading, writing, reflection is the way that people lead with, with the best version of themselves. What role have those played in your growth as, uh, as leaders for the Savannah Bananas? <laughs> she looks right at me. 
This is definitely a him question. In 2014, I was going through a challenging time professionally, not in my life, just challenging time because we were together. We were happy. We were engaged. We were engaged (laughs) professionally. um, I was just waking up with not as much focus. I wake up, I would scroll through social media. I would look at news. I would focus on other people's priorities, not myself. And fortunately, I, I stumbled across Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. And, you know, that literally changed my whole mindset on everything. And so I started every morning uh, with Hal Elrod. Do you know Hal? Have you heard the story of Hal Elrod? I, I have. I have. Yeah, yeah. And and I came to that on my own, not it, which like through trial and error, not. Uh... Yes, I, I needed some guidance, obviously. So <laughs> I, I'm jealous of you. But I, I read, you know, obviously he uh, basically almost died twice, one in a car accident, another from depression. And, and he read this uh, and he said, I need to change my mornings. So he came up with the Lifesavers uh, acronym, silence, affirmation, visualization, exercise size reading and scribing scribing because he couldn't figure out a w so he'd make that writing so he started doing it so in 2015 i started doing that and uh, it changed my life uh, i would say seven years now uh, every single morning you know i don't miss a morning i write i do 10 ideas i read a lot i i run and while listening to a business podcast usually to learn and listen and i you know i commit at least an hour to an hour and a half every single morning and you know i'm looking right now at hundreds of books in front of me i've probably read uh, usually 50 to 100 books a year. Um, Emily jokes because I'm in four to five books at a time. Uh, it's probably a, a challenge. But yeah, it's it's become everything. You know, your input affects your output. And I think literally, what are you putting in your system? So if you're putting in social media, if you're putting in news, you're putting negativity, it affects your output, affects what you put out in the world. So I try to read things that of of uh, amazing people that have done amazing things. And hopefully that will inspire me. So it's been uh, a huge part of my life. And Emily, obviously, she she, well, I'll let you talk, but it's a big part of you too. Yeah, I mean, we're both lifelong learners, so it's just a big part of our life. We're constantly sharing podcasts, and uh, well, I will say I I fall asleep a lot more now while reading since we have three young kids, Uh, but I do a lot of audiobooks, and so it's just a a part of our daily routine where we're listening to other people, influences that we want to have, and again, just being intentional on, on what we're studying and reading about. All right, I lied. One more question, then then we'll get to the end. Do you have any book recommendations that you think, you know, folks listening to this are like, man, I, I need to start doing things differently? I always struggle with that question because it really depends on where people are on their journey. Right, yeah. So it's really where you're on your journey. I, I, what I will say this, go deep on subjects. So go deep on something. If you really want to learn it, go as deep as possible. So like when I, I have literally read every single book, why are you laughing? It's just funny when Jesse gets an obsession like this, I'll see like 17 books show up the next day all on the same, like, yeah, yeah. I'm the same way, man. I'm the same way. Well, if you want to learn something, you really got to learn every single, like I, you know, like Grateful Dead, for instance, I was fascinated because of the highest, the biggest touring act of history created more fans. So I read every single book, every article, every video, every documentary on the Grateful Dead because I wanted to learn that. Uh, Circus Soleil, you know, there's so little about that, but I listened to every single interview. Mr. Beast, I've listened to probably more Mr. Beast interviews. And there's not a book yet. If there was, I'd read everything because I want to learn from the people that are the best in the world at what they do. And if you learn that, so it's tough for me just to say a book, but there's lots that have really inspired me. So if there was more specific question in regards to that, I could answer that, but it's uh, go deep on what really interests you and don't just read one book about it, learn it and understand it so you can actually run your life and, and lead that way as well. And again, going to, uh, you know, doing another pitch for fans first, uh, reading the book. It's got a bunch of quotes and book recommendations in it. So if you want to increase your Amazon wish list, uh, <laughs> just just read that book. It's a gateway drug. 
The worst is my first book, Yellow Tux, because at the end of each chapter, I put like 10 book recommendations. Someone said, reading your book, Find Your Yellow Tux was the most expensive book I've ever bought in my life because I had to buy 100 other books with it because they were recommended. Fans first, I toned it down a little bit. (laughs) I love that. I have a monthly reading list email that I send out. It's grown to like 6,000 people. And it's, uh, yeah, I, I recommend like three to four books a month. And I've been doing it for like five, six years now. And uh, I absolutely love it. I love just encouraging people to read. And I appreciate you doing that in your book as well. Okay, Savannah Bananas, fans first. If people want to learn more about the the two of you, about your organization, um, if they want to see some awesome uh, reels on key highlights from the games, where, where can they find all this stuff? <laughs> We're very easy to find. You search Savannah Bananas. But yeah, we spend... Uh, TikTok's our biggest following. So I think we have over 3.7 million. So we, we do a lot of videos on TikTok, but we're really growing the YouTube and Instagram. So you search Savannah Bananas, you can find videos pretty easily. I spend most of my time on LinkedIn. I write uh, new posts almost every day, every other day. And uh, yeah, where you search Yellow Tux, you'll find me. You search Savannah Bananas, you'll find everything you need. You search Emily, you'll probably find you too. I'm not out there as much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for, for your time. Uh, it's my evening, middle of your day. Thank you so much. This was uh, this was awesome. I'm walking away from this interview just energized by the two of you. And so thank you so much for this. Well, thank, thank you for what you're doing. Thank, thank you for your inspiration. You. Thank you again for listening to another episode of From the Green Notebook podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us gain visibility and the opportunity to help more people on their leadership journey. Also, make sure you check out our website at www.fromthegreennotebook.com. There, you can listen to past episodes, read leadership articles written by military leaders from around the world. You can sign up for our monthly reading list email where you can learn about new books that are coming out. And our Sunday reflection email that comes out every Sunday morning is really short. It's a two-minute read, but I guarantee you it's going to start your week off on the right foot. Finally, make sure you follow us on Twitter at FTGN Notebook, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for From the Green Notebook. Again, thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. I am humbled by the opportunity to learn these lessons alongside you. So please join us next week for another episode of From the Green Notebook, where we're going to help you lead with the best version of yourself. I came from the mud,